Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. This is our last episode of 2014, folks, and I can't think of a better way to end the year than talking about some of the great movies released during the past 12 months. Happily, three of our favorite critics are here to share their picks for the top 10 films of 2014, and we've extended the show to 60 minutes to make sure we have time to hear about all their choices. I'm so glad that A.J. Hockery, Mac Bates, and Richard Jack Smith have agreed to join us. You know, folks, they all have a passion for the movies and are not a bit shy about sharing their opinions. We love it when, the, when all three of them can be together on our show. A.J., as most of you know, is also called the Mad Movie Man, and he writes reviews for a number of outlets, including Review Express, Classic Movie Guide, Real Talk Movie Reviews, and his own popular movie blog, CineSlice. And that's spelled capital C-I-N-E, capital S-L-I-C-E. And Mac has written freelance articles for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and serves as a staff blogger for Milwaukee Magazine's official film blog. He Recently, well, I guess it wasn't that recently, but it's quite an honor, received a local Emmy for his work on the Robert and Rosie show. Richard is the author of a great book about movies called Incidental Gold, and he reviews films and soundtracks for Real Talk Movie Reviews. We'll hear from our guests in just a few minutes, but first let's bring on Nikki Starr, our producer extraordinaire. Nikki! Did Santa bring you a leg lamp for Christmas this year? He didn't, but wait, just so you know, it'll be there for next year. Oh, it will be. <laughs> I I hope so, because uh, if not, uh, AJ and I will have to talk to Santa about um, that. Yeah, there's going to be issues if it doesn't come next year. Oh, yeah, I, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, we'll, we'll make it. sure that, that, that you get one for next year. And uh, mm-hmm. I should ask you if the chat room is ready for um, listeners to sign up and participate. It actually is, and I want to say a really wonderful welcome to Annie and Missy who came because of my post, and we're so happy to have them here. Yes, welcome to Annie and Missy and the other guests who are uh, signing up. We really appreciate the people who participate in our site, in our chat, as well as all our other listeners. And we also appreciate the three guests that we have today for taking the time to be with us during this busy holiday season. And let's bring them on now, starting with the Mad Movie Man. Hi, AJ. Did you make up your top ten films list and check it twice? 
I did, and I, on the subject of a Christmas story, I don't think uh, Nikki should get a leg lamp, considering I don't have one yet. So maybe oh, there's no. a generous Santa Claus out there who's going to send one to me. D- don't even have to wait till Christmas. I'm one of those really guys. right. I'll, my I'll, birthday's I'll July, AJ. My birthday's July. You can <laughs> like, send it to me for my birthday. My birthday is in March. I'm one of those guys. I listen to Christmas music okay. in the middle of April. So I I need one of those lamps. <laughs> I want the big I, one though. See, this is the thing. I did have a friend send me like one that goes on a tree. It's about three inches, but I want the big one that goes in front of my like you know window. So of course, I, that'll I take some doing. Too. That'll take some doing, but but we're we're gonna work on that. That's that's a that's a project. Uh, you you and AJ should definitely have a leg lamp at least by next Christmas. Now. Mac is here, too, so I'm also happy that he could be with us again. Mac, welcome back to Movie Addict Headquarters. Uh, thank you for having me, Betty Jo. I'm glad to be back. You know, it's always a thrill to be able to be a part of the show, especially when I get a chance to talk about my favorite subject, film, for, you know, uh, an hour. You know, you can't beat that. I I agree. I feel the same way, and it's great to have you with us. And the same goes for our third guest, Richard, who's calling all the way from Wales. Richard, what time is it where uh, back, back there in Wales? It's just after nine here, and it's been cold, but it's a little bit warmer today. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> That's nine o'clock at night? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. indeed. It's all pitch black out there, and I imagine it's all sort of daytime where you are yeah <laughs> well thank you for for staying up and being on our, our show again <laughs> I, I, was say to, yet. <laughs> I was gonna say today but I, I should say tonight where richard is concerned we we'd love to have you as a guest and now that the gang's all here let's get started with our discussion about this year's top 10 films i have a hunch that there'll be some major disagreements but I'm a little bit uh, curious about uh, this, and, and Mac, I'm going to ask you first. What what criteria do you use uh, to pick your top films each year? Well, for me, it's always kind of a uh, a litmus test in, 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 you know, the anticipation of the factor. Like, was I anticipating this film? And if I was, was it because of somebody involved in front of or behind the scenes? Uh, but more to the point, you know, what did the movie live up to its expectations? You know, did, was I, were my expectations met? Were they exceeded? Were they confounded? Um, so I, I factored that all into it. And, you know, it's really just the overall quality of the film itself. And, you know, by quality, I mean the, um, yeah, you know, with the script, did it take me in places I didn't expect? Was the direction something I wasn't expecting? Was I able to kind of figure out where the film was going, you know, a mile before it got there, that sort of thing? Were the performances uh, engaging? Did they bring anything new to the table that might not have been in, the, you know, the script inherently? So for me, I, I affect all of that into it. So overall quality, performances, direction, script, that sort of thing. And um, that's that's how I use my, uh, typically go by uh, uh, judging film, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, just overall you know, quality and, 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 you know, the different components that, that go into making them what they are. That makes a lot of sense, uh, Mac. And, Richard, um, do you use a similar criterion to uh, to pick your top ten? Yeah, quite similar. Um, I have a long list of things I, I look for in a film. I would say right at the top, though, would be, does it move me? Does it is it emotionally involving? And if the answer is yes, then it's probably made its way onto my top ten this year. <laughs> I understand. I, I know what you're talking about. And how about you, AJ? 
Uh, mine's something along those similar lines. I kind of have two criteria that I work off of basing, uh, uh, putting together my top ten of the year. Uh, one is how well did it uh, succeed at what it set out to do, and two, how likely am I to revisit that again? Because I've had movies where I've uh, put them at the number one spot for the entire year. I'm really not sure if I'm ever going to watch them again, but they were still incredible achievements. And so it's always tough trying to fill out uh, that balance versus something that I really like watching, but it may not be like the quote-unquote, you know, most accomplished or best movie of the year versus something that was an incredible achievement I might never even rent, buy, or pop in again. Good answers, all of them. And um, my... uh... I just my, I just uh look at look at them for their entertainment value mostly I think I, and I always find out that the the ones that I have top 10 are the movies that I would like to see over and over and over again mm-hmm. so that it's very very simple and but I guess the big question of the day for all three of you is which movies have you placed on your top 10 list for 2014 and so aj why why don't you begin and and uh give us the titles of your top 10 films absolutely starting off at number 10 guardians of the galaxy uh the marvel movie that uh kind of beat the odds people weren't sure how it was going to play out it's not one of the most well-known marvel properties but it came out and it endeared people to its characters and its effects and adventure and humor. It was a fantastic mix, one of the funnest times of the whole summer. Uh, number nine is Life Itself, the uh, documentary about the late Roger Ebert. Uh, it was a very emotional, kind of unflinching portrait of not only how much Ebert you know, loved movies, but the kind of man that he was and the side of him that uh, you didn't even see through his writing. And, and that's saying something considering how much he bared his soul and showed who he was with his writing. Uh, number eight is uh, Snowpiercer, a movie I finally caught up to last week, kind of a post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie about this class struggle on uh, this train that has the last survivors of humanity on it, and it's very inventive, uh, very clever, and it has a lot of uh, compelling uh, social commentary woven into its screenplay, as well as just being like a cool sci-fi movie with a lot of cool fights and everything. Speaking of uh, sci-fi, number seven is Under the Skin, a very uh, somewhat abstract, uh, untraditional, but really interesting kind of art house style movie with Scarlett Johansson is some being who's not of this earth, whose sole purpose is to come down here and seduce men and uh, basically kind of make a meal out of them, but then she kind of discovers what emotions are, and it's a compelling movie. It doesn't look or sound like any other movie that I've seen this year. I thought it was just fantastic. Uh, Number six is The Lego Movie, a movie that, if you told me at the start of this year, would be on my top ten I'd have kind of laughed at you, but no, uh, the creators of uh, Claudia with a Chance of Meatballs and the Jump Street movies kind of took this concept of uh, Lego, of a movie based on a uh, Lego, of Legos and everything, uh, something that you would think, like, okay, this is going to be uh, just a cash-in property. People come to it just because Lego's in the name and turned it into this great, funny, really colorful ode to creativity, and I thought it was just blew me away. Another movie that blew me away is uh, my number five pick, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. 
which was the movie of the summer for me, and I was not expecting it. As much as I did like and was surprised by Rise, The Planet of the Apes, Dawn uh, just topped that in just about every department, including action and story characters and effects. Uh, this series that I kind of didn't have much faith in at the start, the newer Apes movies, uh, it's really surprising me with every turn, and now I cannot wait to see what will hopefully be a third movie down the road. Uh, number four is Blue Ruin, a uh, revenge movie, a very uh, brutal re- revenge movie about this guy whose single decision to take revenge on the guy who uh, was responsible for killing his family uh, back in the day just sets off this whole other chain of events. And it's a very it's a very quiet movie, but it's also a very brutal movie, and it's just very compelling without having to do or say a whole heck of a lot. And it just kind of surprises you with its developments that come out of nowhere, but they do it naturally. And that's the mark of a very cleverly constructed thriller. My number three pick is Jodorowsky's Dune, a documentary about uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, the filmmaker who made The Holy Mountain and El Topo, and how back in the 60s or 70s he was uh, hired to direct this movie version of the Frank Herbert novel Dune, uh, and it was and it's just kind of about how uh, the creative process that he went through and casting and how he was going to basically try and make the movie into a profit for the world and uh, not really abide by the book at all. And it's just the visuals that he would have come up with in the ideas and concepts kind of make this one of those movies that I wish really had gotten made because I think it would have been a game changer or at least really, really cool to watch. My number two pick is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, yep, I got both Marvel movies this year on the list, and Captain America really <laughs> surprised me. As much as I did like the first one, which I do kind of like watching uh, more so as a film just because I grew up on retro action movies, so the kind of guys on a mission World War II setting really appealed to me. But just in terms of an accomplished story and everything, this really stepped up the game and delivered a lot more uh, complex story, putting, you know, Captain America, this guy from this black and white era of, okay, this is good and that's evil in an era when, well, things kind of aren't that simple anymore. And it shows how he deals with that. And you also get some really, really cool action sequences out of it. And then my pick for the number one movie of the year is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, Wes Anderson is kind of touch and go with me. For the most part, I do like his stuff, although I wasn't blown away by Moonrise Kingdom, as a lot of people were, and Bottle Rocket is still kind of on the iffy side. But uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, his best movie since Fantastic Mr. Fox. It is just a uh, wonderful uh, visual presentation. Uh, It's a very funny movie. It's a very dramatic movie, and it's very uh, unexpectedly poignant at times. You know, you kind of laugh at the lengths that uh, Rafe finds his character, and everyone will go to be perfect and serve their uh, clients and everything. But in the end, it kind of turns into this message about how you have to have some sort of stability when uh, terrible forces are coming out of the woodwork. And it's just a very unexpectedly uh, you know, touching movie. It's very clever, and I just absolutely adored watching this. So my number one, Grand Budapest Hotel. What an interesting list uh, and very diverse. 
Number one, Grand Budapest Hotel. Number two, Captain America, Winter Soldier. Number three, Deborowski's Dune. Number four, Blue Ruin. Number five, Dawn of Planet of the Apes. Number six, The Lego Movie. Number seven, Under the Skin. Number eight, Snowpiercer. Number nine, Life Itself. And number ten, Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I'm wondering if... Richard has any of the same movies on his top ten list. Uh, Richard, what titles have you picked? Right, at number ten, Edge of Tomorrow with uh, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Really impressed with this one. The story converts the video game experience into something far more immersive. Then at number nine, this one is on AJ's list, Snowpiercer. Science fiction really coming of age here in this adaptation of the seminal 1980s graphic novel. At number eight, Nonstop, an action thriller, one of the best of the year, I think. Liam Neeson remains on top form there. Number seven, <laughs> now this one is going to be interesting for some people because it wasn't universally liked by critics, but it did well at the box office. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Jonathan Liebesman's wildly entertaining blockbuster brings together the delectable Megan Fox, great music. <laughs> A funny script and awesome visual effects. Cowabunga. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Number six. This is definitely a change of pace for this one. A Most Wanted Man, which was, um, I think, the last leading role from the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, Totally hypnotic. Anton Corbin's picture, I I think, is far superior to Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, another Jean Le Carre uh, book that was adapted to the screen a couple of years ago. Now for the top five. At number five, Maleficent. And again, this is, <laughs> in my opinion, um, the twists and turns that uh, director Robert Stromberg, also an art director, that he brought to this story made it for me just a little bit more satisfying than the 1959 Walt Disney version, just for me. And number four, getting closer now to number one, <laughs> Two Days, One Night, a foreign film from uh, Belgium, from the Darden brothers, um, proves the theory that a dialogue-driven film can actually work without music. There's not a single note of music in the whole film, apart from something that might be played on the radio. I think Marion Cotillard, superb, deserves Oscar attention. And number three, this one was, I think, uh, AJ's favourite movie of the year, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Again, I'm, I kind of have a, a love-hate thing with Wes Anderson's work, but this one really <laughs> surprised me, and I thought, because Ray Fiennes, I mean, I didn't like his performance in English Patient, which was Oscar-nominated. I found it very, very dull. But in this, he was a hoot and, and uh, just a delightful, sublime work of art on this occasion. And number two one which uh, wasn't on AJ's list, but I'm sure he's seen, Locke with Tom Hardy. Mm. I, some, sometimes when, um, when we critics use the word masterpiece, I find it a, a tiny little bit presumptuous, but I think in 50 years this one could be perceived as such and, and could be the subject of film studies, courses, and so on. Um, just the honesty in Tom Hardy's performance, magnificent. And at number one, drum roll. <laughs> the full yes, I wish I had a drum roll. Already one of my favorite films. Uh, this one made me laugh and cry. An instant classic. 
And um, I was interrupting you. you. The title of uh, your number one film again is? The Fault in Our Stars. What an interesting list you have, too. And I see you did agree with AJ on Snowpiercer and on uh, Grand the Grand Budapest Hotel. And so we have some some agreement there. And now I'm wondering if... Uh, if Mac is agreeing with either one of you on any of those uh, films, so Mac, what what uh, are your top ten films of 2014? <laughs> um, <clears throat> coming in at number uh, ten for me would be this uh, little scene. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, this little scene film starring Jeremy Renner called "Kill the Messenger." This great. A whistleblower film that came out early in the fall is based on a true story of this journalist Gary Webb, who worked for a paper in uh, South uh, Southern California, and he actually started uh, a an investigative uh, story uh, for his paper that uh, tied uh, the CIA with the um, uh, the smuggling of cocaine into the United States, and and found out that um, you know they were kind of uh, behind the Iran Contra affair. You know, in terms of uh, you know keeping it afloat, so it was a, a, a damn good um, a thriller. I think it's one of the best whistleblower movies that have come out in, in recent years. I would ever put it right up there with um, all the President's Men and uh, the Insider. It's that good, and I I hate that it didn't find its audience in theaters, but it's a, it's a it's a, a damn fine film, and hopefully it'll find its audience uh, a little bit later on. I wish you um Renner was more of a force um uh in the best actor race this year because it was wholeheartedly deserved. I thought he was quite excellent in that film. Uh coming in at number nine on my list is of course the uh seminal um documentary about uh probably the most influential critic uh of, of my lifetime, Roger Ebert, life itself. Uh it was just a, a mind um blowingly great uh effort. Uh, that that they put on the big screen, and I think it came out at the, the precise time that it needed to come out at. You know, come out uh, at it came out a, a couple of years after Roger's uh, death, and I know a lot of people are still kind of reeling from that. You know, people certainly like myself who uh, grew up reading his uh, his work in the Chicago uh, uh, Sun Times, as well as seeing him and uh, the late great Roger Ebert. I mean, late great uh, Jason Scott rather on uh, Cisco and Ebert. You know, and uh, it was just a beautiful portrait of a of a uh, of a brilliant. Uh, you know, a truly brilliant um, a man and writer and, and you know, critic. Uh, coming in at number eight is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the summer's um, most pleasant surprise, you know, in the summer that had a lot of disappointing um, uh, efforts. This one kind of rose like the phoenix and uh, took everybody, including myself, by surprise because it could have uh, gone either way. It could have, you know, become what it's become, which is, you know, one of the highest-grossing films of the year, if not the highest-grossing film of the year, or it could have become kind of uh, this generation's um, uh, uh, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. But thankfully, <laughs> it actually it actually turned out to be a, a, a very a very well-made um, popcorn film with, uh, with uh, some people who I think are going to go on to do great things, like Chris Pratt, obviously, and, and um, uh, Zoe Zaldana, who's uh, you know working steadily. Uh, coming in at number seven is uh, David Fincher's adaptation of Gone Girl. I think that's a film that's been terribly underrated, um, even though it got glowing reviews when it came out, but the critics aren't showing love, you know, in terms of uh, nominations and whatnot for the film. Uh, I think uh, Ben Affleck is given probably his best performance in film uh, to date in the film. Ro- Rosamund Pike 
is extraordinary in the film. You know, I really can't fault any any aspect of the film. I just think, I just think it was really a a, um, a, a return to um, a nail biting um, um, cinema at its best by a Fincher, who's uh, rarely, if ever, been a disappointment uh, in terms of what he puts out. Coming in at number six is Foxcatcher, with uh, a a truly um, um, magnificent lead performance by uh, Steve Carell along with great uh, turns by uh, Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo, based on a true story about a uh, an eccentric um, uh, millionaire, billionaire, John DuPont, played by uh, a almost unrecognizable Steve Carell, who gets a little too uh, personally involved with um, a two Olympic uh, wrestling brothers back in the uh, late 80s who were training for the 88 Olympics. Uh, coming in at number five is uh, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby Zim, Starring Jessica Chastain as the title character and um, James McAvoy as her husband, they uh, it's, a, it's about a film about the deconstruction of a marriage after a uh, tragedy happens and, and the emotional fallout of which drives a, a once loving couple apart. Uh, great supporting performances in the film from Viola Davis, William Hurt, Isabel Huppert, uh, Syrian Hines, Bill Hatter. Um, I can't recommend that film enough. It's a, just a great, great uh, undertaking, and I would highly recommend that if anybody gets a chance to see uh, both her and him and them, I would uh Her, him, and them, that. okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's three different films. Uh, there's, there's one called The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby Her, told from entirely from Eleanor's um, perspective. There's The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby Him, told entirely from James McAvoy character's experience. And then the film that I saw was The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby Them, which is told from both of their experiences. It's a, a, a mashup of both films. And the director and the screenwriter behind the film, it, it, he took he took this, uh, these films and just made a very interesting uh, mashup of them. And I, I, But I would highly recommend that everybody checks all of them out. My personal favorite of the three is The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby Her. You know, of, of the three, but if you had to take one, go with them. And um, at number four, uh, the film that I probably waited for all year long, ever since I heard about it uh, being a smash of Sundance, called it's a film, a great, great um, a satire called the uh, Dear White People, uh, from a first-time writer-director Justin uh, Simeon. I, I'm eagerly anticipating his uh, follow-up effort. He's um, there's been news that he's going to be doing um, a follow-up film fairly soon, and I cannot wait because if it's any, if he's even, if it's even half as good. It's his, it's his first film out. It's it's going to be a real treat. It's um it's a, a social and political and racial satire set in a uh, college um, where uh, basically a lot of uh, a lot of universal truths and and, and that are spoken and not spoken uh, uh, come to a head. Great performances top to bottom. Uh, brilliant screenplay, and I don't say that uh, lightly. When uh you know it's just one of those films that when you look at it you're like damn I wish I could have been a part of that in some way. So I just had a really really good time at that film. Coming in at number three is Birdman, um, with Michael Keaton in an amazing comeback form. That did here Whitney, where the audience went places, but uh, you know his fans, myself included, you know were always uh, you know um, rooting for him. And it's great that he's back, back on top, and looks like he's going to be a front runner for the Best Actor Oscar, and rightfully so. He's brilliant in the film, playing a a kind of a riff on him, on his uh, his self as well as uh, uh, his uh, former uh, Batman. Flash Bruce Wayne, alter ego. Again, great performances, top to bottom. Edward Norton, Emma, Emma um, um, Stone, both more than likely going to be Oscar nominated. Naomi Watts, Naomi Watts is, excuse me, she's also in the film. 
and uh, it's, a, it's a terribly imaginative film. And I love the concept that it looks like it was shot in one long continuous take because it's all about a action former action star trying to get a uh, a break doing a Broadway show. And much like theater, there are no second takes. So I thought that was a pretty unique um, visual concept that they uh, took on, and, and, and it paid off, in my opinion. I know some people have uh, said uh, yay or nay on it, but me, I'm definitely yay on that on that out front. Coming in at number two is um, another film which I wish had found this audience in theaters called Beyond the Lights. A great, great film from a uh, uh, a female filmmaker. Her name is Gina Prince-Bythewood. She also directed... Um, the Secret Lives of Bees a couple of years ago with uh, Queen Latifah, and before that she directed another great film called Love and Basketball with Sanaa Lathan. Uh, so she's obviously very much interested in uh, presenting um, uh, female voices uh, from protagonists who aren't readily seen on the big screen, and those those voices happen to be of uh, uh, African-American women. In this case, it's a uh, film about a, a uh, British uh, pop star who is hypersexualized who's got this momager who will do anything to get ahead, played brilliantly by uh, Minnie Driver, the pop star in question. Her name is uh, Noni, and she's played rather brilliantly by Gugu Mbappé. And what is, the name of the, what is the name of the film again? Oh, Beyond the Lights. Well, Beyond, Beyond the Lights the came light. out in November, and it stars okay, Gugu Mbappé, Minnie Driver, and Nate Parker. Uh, Gugu and uh, Nate, they play um, a pop star, and a police officer who uh, uh, enter into a wholly believable and very, um, very uh, uh, interesting romance uh, after he rescues her from a uh, suicide attempt. Um, and like I said, she plays a uh, hyper-sexualized pop star from Great Britain who has taken the world by storm. And, and it's, it's, it's very interesting how the film kind of tackles that whole, uh, uh, her desire to be taken seriously as an artist as opposed to just being taken um, and being, you know, used as a piece of meat, and as basically her journey to uh, becoming the artist that she she hopes to uh, one see, which is a serious artist who, you know, is, <clears throat> her talent is, um, um, you know, at the forefront as opposed to, you know, uh, her boobs and her body and so on and so forth. She's, you know, very uh, sexualized in that in that sense, and it's just a very interesting examination of how um, somebody with talent can still. You know, have have the attributes put a, a put before everything else. And my uh, top uh, film of the year is uh, a most violent year from my uh, director, writer, director J. C. Shandar. Um, it hasn't opened up uh, uh, wide yet, but I had the uh, pleasure of seeing it earlier in the month at a, an advanced screening. And it is one of those. It's it's the sort of film I wish it was. I wish it it, the, the, it evokes the '80s in such a way that I wish. Um, um, oh, what's his name? Um, David O. Russell's film from last year had evoked the uh, 70s, American Hustle. American Hustle, it evoked it in a very slick way. Uh, most Violent Year evoked it in a very real way. You know, that the, uh, it took me right back to that time, to that era. I was, a, I was a child at the time during the events of this film back in 1981. I was, what, four years old? But it had, it actually, I was watching this movie and I had flashbacks to certain parts of the 80s, particularly the latter half of the 80s, which I remember a little bit more so. But, uh, it was a truly evocative film, and it's about a um, businessman played by Walter Isaacs, who's a fuel supplier in uh, 1981 New York, and he's trying to uh, uh, run his business um, uh, legitimately in the mass, you know, and, and, and he's being um, just bombarded by one crooked operator after another, and um, it takes a toll on him as well as his family. And Jessica Chastain uh, is um, quite quite effective. Is his um, his heart is his tough as Dale's wife 
and it's just a, a brilliant, evocative um, uh, drama slash thriller that uh, has you uh, guessing up to the last minute exactly how everything's going to turn out. And um, uh, great uh, supporting performances again, particularly from Chastain and from uh, David Oyelio, who uh, also is in the uh, Selma playing Martin Luther King Jr. So yes, what a this is uh, quite a, a diverse list, too, and uh, some great selections. Uh, number one, A Most Violent Year. Number two, Beyond the Lights. Number three, Birdman. Number four, Dear White People. Number five, uh, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, her, him, them. <laughs> number six, Vox. <laughs> Foxcatcher, number seven, Gone Girl, number eight, Guardians of the Galaxy, number nine, Life Itself, and number ten, Kill the Messenger. So I see you agree. We have some agreement on Guardians of the Galaxy and Life, it's life Itself with uh, with our with our other uh, guests. Richard, I'm um, I'm sorry that I forgot to uh, read your lineup again. Number one, The Fault in Our Stars. Number two, Locke. Number three, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Number four, Two Days, One Night. Number number five, Maleficent. Number six, A Most Wanted Man. Number seven, Teenage Mutant. <laughs> I can't even say this without laughing. Teenage Mutant. <laughs> That's <laughs> Number eight, nonstop. Number seven, Snowpiercer. And number 10, Edge of Tomorrow. And now I'm kind of embarrassed to read my list because, well, you guys know me, so you know it's going to be kind of lowbrow because it's entertainment is first. <laughs> and so they're not even in any order. These are the 10 movies that I, you know, I would want to see over and over and over again and I have already started on some of them. There probably you're not surprised that Maleficent is on my list because I think it is a cinematic uh, masterpiece as far as the art is concerned. And um maybe you'll be surprised that Nightcrawler is right up there um, with Maleficent. I, I just uh, was so spellbound with Jake Gyllenhaal and his performance. I mean, the most mesmerizing creep ever ever <laughs> on screen, and I couldn't take my eyes off him. I wanted to know what was he going to do next, who was he going to manipulate next, what was he going to do, what was he going to say. I, I just think it's it's a, I've already watched it two times and I plan to watch it you know quite a few more times. The dialogue is fantastic in that yeah, movie. Yeah, it is. Number three, you will be surprised at this because I don't think any of you may have even heard of it. But it it's called Make Your Move and it is a musical and it stars Be Still My Heart, Derek Huff, and he dances he tap dances up a storm. And by he can act. I mean, I I've been his avid fan since ever since he first started on Dancing with the Stars. I think he's the best dancer that I've ever seen. I didn't know that he could tap dance so well, and uh, the story is uh, compelling. Now, how often do we see a musical with a compelling story? But we get to see some dynamic tap routines. We don't get to see that very often on the big screen. And uh, I, I just feel the same way you do, uh, Mac, about some of these films not getting widely distributed. This one didn't, but it is now on DVD. And uh, you can also, I think it's going to be shown on HBO, and I highly recommend it. All right, after um, Make Your Move, 
The Fault in Our Stars. This was the most emotional film of the year for me. I I agree with you, Richard. Shailene Woodley's portrayal. <laughs> yes, her her portrayal of a teen suffering from cancer who falls in love with a fellow student. It just tugged at my heartstrings. I just felt so, you know, tied to her. And I thought the romance was treated tastefully. It was a tearjerker. There's no doubt about that. But there are charming and humorous moments throughout. Everybody in the movie is excellent, especially Laura Dern as the uh, compassionate, caring mother. And uh, the next film that popped into my mind, you're not going to be surprised about this, it's Muppets Most Wanted, (laughs) another (laughs) musical. And I thought this movie was made just for me. I really did, because it has everything in it that I like, singing, tap dancing, comedy, and the Muppets who always make me smile. This is their eighth (laughs) movie. It's one of their best. They're just, the magic just goes on and on with the Muppets. Then um, Life Itself, I think we've got almost everyone picking Life Itself, uh, the Roger Ebert documentary. I thought it was so well done. It was painful to watch and joyful to watch. Yeah. But it, I'm so glad they did not uh, gloss over Ebert's faults, and that makes him even seem more endearing. Next, Winter's Tale. This was such a strange, wonderful film and I, I guess you have to like magical realism before you, you enjoy this movie, but it took my breath away. It, the performances, the tender love story, the thrilling background music, the suspenseful sequences involving a magical white horse, and Colin Farrell and Jessica Finley, they just were so romantic together on screen. They looked soulfully at each other in a way that melted my heart. And the way this film looked, the cinematographer... Uh, Caleb Deschanel, he's one of my favorites. He he really made the most of wintry landscapes and moonlit nights and starry skies and period settings. Uh, this is kind of a hard film to follow, but it's one of the most visually stunning. And here I am with most of the rest of you with Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. I usually don't like sci-fi films, but this one... I was glued to my seat while watching this journey that you, some of you have described. It just is. Uh, it just holds your interest, and you you can't believe uh, that uh, something like this could happen. But you're with all the people that are on that on that speeding train, and uh, with the rebels who are trying to take over. It's, it was just uh, absolutely one of the best sci-fi movies that I've ever seen. Life's a Breeze is the next. I don't think anybody saw this except me, but I thought it was just marvelous. It's a delightful Irish comedy about a grandmother and her preteen granddaughter who have to work together to save their extended family whose other members can't do anything right. <laughs> and so these two, the youngest member and the oldest member, they have to work together to get make everything come out right. It's so funny, so touching. And it has the most amazing and hilarious twists and turns I've ever seen on screen. So if you get a chance to see Life's a Breeze, it is an Irish uh, movie, and um, maybe it'll be on on demand or uh, DVDs available shortly. I certainly do hope for. The last movie that I wanted to put on my list is Annie. So I'm saving a spot for that. I've tried to see Annie 
but the storm has kept me, and uh, families visiting have uh, kept me from seeing Annie. Uh-oh. So I'm saving that spot. I'm I'm hoping to see it this weekend. But if Annie doesn't make it, I'm going with the last of Robin Hood. I I just thought oh, it was yeah. a fascinating tale about the desire for fame and the price it demands. And Kevin Klein as Errol Flynn was he was Errol Flynn, not yes, in, not was. the young Errol Flynn, but the Errol Flynn. After the booze and the legendary philandering have taken their their toll, and um, it was just a, a spellbinding film, and it really did have uh, some very fascinating inside uh, behind the scenes information that I that I always like to see. So mine are Maleficent, Nightcrawler, Make Your Move, Fault in Your Stars, The Muppets Most Wanted, Life Itself, Winter's Tale. No piercer. Life's a breeze, and hopefully Annie, if not uh, the last of Robin Hood. Now, Nikki, we have to hear from the fans and not the critics. Nikki, mm-hmm. Nikki, what what movies would you like to add to our list? Oh, did you unconnect me? Yes, I did. Okay. Well, everybody likes everything. I think The Fault in Our Stars is a big hit, by the way. Big hit. Oh, you like that? Fault in, fault in, fault in our stars. Not just me, not just me. The people in the chat room like it too. So, oh, yeah, I read the book, and I think I agree. I read the book, and I think they did a great job on the movie adaptation. I do. So, so that would be your uh, one of your one of your top movies of 2014. It is one of my top. Yeah, it is. And I actually like AJ's list. I like AJ's list, and I did just message him on Facebook that I liked his list, which is really bizarre, but I do. I do. <laughs> well, 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 wonders never cease. I know, right? <laughs> Great. I'm so glad. I did I'm like so his list. I did. <laughs> well, you know you know what? We we probably should go. We promised our listeners we'd go to the other extreme, too. And, and I want to hear would. the worst. Yeah, I do. yeah. This is what yep. we ready. Did. So, if you were asked uh, to name the most disappointing movie of 2014, which film will you choose? Richard, we're going to let you go first on that. Right. Uh, well, I, I could pick the uh, the film which I found the most disappointing. I could also name the, the soundtrack I was most disappointed in. I think it's, it's both one and the same. Godzilla. Or as I've come to know, oh, oh, Nikki and I are so sad. It was one of those situations, and and I'm not revealing spoilers by mentioning the the action sequence between God the Big G and Muto, the thing that looks like a giant frame mantis when they he roars on screen, Godzilla, and then they cut away. There's something that's going on 200 miles away, and they don't go back to the the action. And it takes ages to get to Godzilla. And, well, I was underwhelmed. I much prefer the 1998 version with Matthew Broderick. Don't don't shoot me. (laughs) Oh, my God, I would if I could. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki and I have liked all the Godzilla movies, right? (laughs) I do love them all. I do love them all, actually. That's true. I did catch up with the original 1954 version. The one without Raymond Burr, but uh, the black and white man in a creature suit one. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Well, well, I, I, I think I was going to put it on my uh, honorable mention list, uh, Nikki. So you'll be happy about that. But what about you, uh, Mac? What would be, what would your a most disappointing movie of 2014 be? Ooh, I actually have a tie between uh, two two uh, films that got a lot of press uh, before they came out. One because it's based on a uh, a celebrated children's novel, and the other because of the unique way it's uh, raised funds in order to uh, be uh, made. Uh, the Giver with um, Meryl Streep and um, Jeff uh, Bridges. Uh, because it, the film, the film itself is based on a, a children's novel, a uh, celebrated children's novel by Lois Lowry that came out about 20 years ago. Uh-huh. So, you know, to make a long story short, uh, it took Jeff Bridges 20 years to get the film made. He originally wanted his father to play the lead character, and uh, Lloyd, as we all has uh, passed some time ago, and uh, it took so long to get the film made that he uh, actually aged, uh, uh, you know, enough in order to play the lead part. And the movie opens up promisingly enough. Uh, introducing the audience to the utopian community um, that the film is set in and its functional architecture, particularly these prefab houses that everyone lives in. Uh, so the filmmakers definitely got the visual style down right. But, um, you know, things go wrong elsewhere, particularly in the lead actor's performance. Um, he plays the character of Jonas Lee Guy, who is um, uh, brought in to become the new memory keeper of this, this, this uh, society. You know this very um, uh, prominent job in in in, in uh, the the story's um, uh, world, and uh, even though the actor Ben Thwaites is uh, pushed to the brink of his physical endurance in this extended um, action-packed climax, you never really get a sense of the psychological toll that his character would uh, be undergoing while you know taking on this Herculean task of basically being the keeper of all the world's secrets. And um, I thought that the actor who played his childhood friend Asher, um, Cameron Monaghan, who some people might be familiar with from um, the Showtime series uh, Shameless, I think exhibits far more emotional range than than the guy who plays the, the lead person. And I, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting, it was inter- it was an interesting um, take on the book, but ultimately, like a colleague of mine summed, uh, summed it up, uh, it was basically a mashup of Pleasantville and Hunger Games, and it just it just didn't work. And um, the uh, other film that was a disappointment to me was uh, the Zach Braff film, uh, Wish I Was Here. Wish I, Wish I Were Here, rather. Uh, it was his follow-up to Garden State, a well-received film from about 10 years ago. You either loved it or hated it. I loved it. Uh, I wanted to love Wish I Was Here, and I just didn't. Um, it was it was too much of a um, uh, too much of a, a, a regurgitation of Garden State for my taste. And um, oh, you wish you weren't. So yeah. you wish you weren't there. And and the movie yes, though exactly. that you wish <laughs> <laughs> you weren't there. Yeah. That giver and then AJ. What what uh, would be your most disappointing movie of 2014? Well, I'm uh, glad you uh, didn't say uh, the worst of the year. Otherwise, we would have to take <laughs> up the whole 40 minutes talking about. Lars von Trier's *Nymphomaniac* uh, Volume One and Volume Two. Uh, but definitely my most disappointing movie of the year was one that I actually uh, just talked about on uh, one of our recent shows, which was one of my most anticipated movies of the winter, which was *Unbroken*, which yes. was an absolute chore to watch. And Horrible. people are saying, like, people are saying, like, what an inspiring movie it is, how it makes them feel great. And I'm like. All you're doing is just watching life kick this guy around for two hours. I'm not 
I, I'm not inspired. I'm depressed. And it just kind of focuses on the misery of him without really much of a reason to be interested in this guy or what's happening to him other than, well, he's in a really terrible situation. I know this guy uh, was a real-life person who went through an mm-hmm. indescribable ordeal and went through all this stuff and led this really interesting life. But his story on screen, as uh, good as Jack O'Connell was in the role and how uh, good the movie looked, just was not an interesting movie and did not grab me and was just so dour and downbeat and depressing. So that, and then at the end, it's, oh, but at least he uh, made it out okay, so it's all good. And it's like, it just isn't that cut and dry. So Unbroken just really, really underwhelmed to me. So we've got Godzilla, The Giver, Unbroken, and I hate to say this, but I would have to pick Into the Woods. I know this is this this is this is going Wow. You hate yeah, Into the Woods? I, I know, I know. Wow. I'm the world's, world's most avid movie musical fan. Yeah. I love Johnny Depp. But let me tell you, this is the longest, <laughs> darkest, dullest <laughs> musical I've ever seen. Johnny Depp was only in it for about five five minutes, and uh, so that was a disappointment. He was good in his scene. That was there were two good scenes. Johnny Depp as the big bad wolf, and he sang a <laughs> song called Hello, Little Girl, to Red Riding Hood, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then uh, there were the two Prince Charmings who sang, who fall in love with the princesses, and they sang a song about who, li- who how how much they loved these princesses and who loved the most and who was who was the frustrated the most and the song was agony and that was good and it was in a light scene you could actually actually see it <laughs> and so mm-hmm. but it was really really dreadful so I'm uh, it pains me to say it but that's the way it goes well we have just uh, talked about so many movies and I don't think we're going to be able to uh, to cover as much as we would like, even with a, with an hour. But let's go uh, to the positive now and talk about the the uh, per, the best performances of uh, of the year. Um, we I, I had asked you to to name you know to be thinking about five, but because the time is going <laughs> going by rapidly, if you had to pick. Uh, uh, a performance that you would say is the best performance of 2014. Who would you pick, Richard? I would probably have to say, mainly because it's a one-man show, Tom Hardy and Locke. I was um, very impressed with that, considering that it was a very isolated type of film, a little bit like Phone Booth, except in Phone Booth there were other people on the screen this was him in a car dealing with life situations, trying to make the best of it, uh, almost like a, a one-man play. Very impressed. I, I that was was a great performance. I I really enjoyed wa- watching him, even though he was uh, suffering. But he did he did a good job of it and made it all seem so so real. And uh, AJ, what's the best performance of the year? in the um, movie of 2014. Well, even though I uh, thought the movie itself was just kind of okay, it's one of the uh, awards darlings that's getting a lot of coverage out there, 
uh, one of the uh, best performances I've seen all year. I don't know if I would say it's the best, but it's definitely one worthy of the praise it's getting is uh, Michael Keaton in uh, Birdman. Like, Michael Keaton's just been one of my uh, favorite actors for a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, well, the first time I joined Twitter, like, one of the first tweets I sent out was, the movies need more Michael Keaton in them. Even though the past few years he's been kind of getting stuck in a lot of garbage, like post-grad, and this year he's a need for speed in the RoboCop remake. But he makes the best of it, and in Birdman, he finally like get, like get just has that, nails that performance that hopefully will lead to a comeback. And it's just a very good performance in general, basically kind of playing himself this uh uh, one time, you know, superhero actor who's trying to be taken seriously as a dramatic actor and not everyone's willing to give him that chance. And you just kind of see how it's just slowly like driving him insane and how much he wants to succeed and how much he wants to be legitimized as an artist. And if I'm I'm pretty sure that's not how he is in real life. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have telekinetic powers or wanders around Times Square uh, in his underwear or anything. Uh, but he's a fantastic actor in my eyes and Birdman and just solidified it for me. I think a lot of people feel the same way, and uh, we just have uh, someone, uh, a chatter, Annie, has said, somebody please mention Benedict Cumberbatch. Just say his name. So there you go, <laughs> Annie. <laughs> and from the imitation game. Mac, who, uh, who would you pick as uh, giving the best performance of the year? Well, you know, uh, if I had to choose one, and that's hard because there were some really great performances, but if I had to go with one, I'd have to go with um, Jessica Chastain and the uh, disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. Uh, all of them, him, her, and them. Uh, she was just brilliant across across the board in that film as a uh, as a woman who, you know, has undergone a great loss and whose uh, uh, husband uh, has had a decidedly different response to it than she has. And just, just the emotional terrain that she charts in that film. It was it was it was absolutely mesmerizing to watch, and I don't use that word lightly because there are certain performances that confound your expectations to the point where even you're like, wow, you know, they, they, this this person was on fire when they were writing yes. when they were uh, you know charting this character's uh, arc, and you know the fact that the part was written for, I think that played a lot into it because when somebody gives you gold like that Benson gave her in in this role and then with this material, I think even she knew she was like, you know, I got to knock this out of the park. Like, I've got to bring my A-game to this role in such a way where, you know, it, it justifies him devoting, you know, X number of you know months or years, you know, developing this material for me. And she was truly, truly magnificent in, in that film. So I would have to go with that. I would have to go with that. The disappearance of Eleanor oh, Rigby, a, that's Jessica a good, Chastain. That's a good, a very good pick. And, and um, I'm, I have kind of a tie. I can't decide whether it's uh, Shailene Woodley in Fault of Our, the Fault in Our Stars or Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler for the reasons that I mentioned already when we were talking about the uh, about the movies. Well, I think that we have just a, a couple of minutes here. We do have time to hear a brief message from one of our loyal listeners. Hi, comedian Nancy Lombardo here, host of Comedy Concepts Blog Talk Radio. And when I need my movie fix, you'll know where I'll be found. That's right, every Tuesday at 4 p.m., listening to Betty Jo Tucker on Movie Attic Headquarters Blog Talk Radio. Show me the funny, Betty. Show me the funny. <laughs> Thank 
Kimmel. As most of you know, Nancy is the hilarious host of Comedy Concepts, which airs on Monday and Friday mornings at 10.30 Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. It's always such a fun show. And also, I I would like to remind listeners of, of our show not to forget to check out the Mom and Pop Show on Dreamstream Radio each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It's very entertaining because the host is none other than Mr. Showbiz himself, George Bettinger. And let's not forget all the diverse shows on the Wacko Network right here on Blog Talk Radio. There's something for everyone in the on the Wacko wheelhouse. Um, I do want to uh, take some time to thank the people in the chat room. Uh, we really appreciate you, uh, you um, Annie and Missy, and uh, there was an M. Foster and several people who uh, haven't identified themselves. But um, you make the show much more interesting for us when, uh, when you participate in the chat, and we really appreciate it, just as we appreciate all our listeners. Well, sorry to say that our time is almost up, so I want to thank A.J., Mac, and Richard for being such terrific guests again today. Do you know what? We've talked about, I think we've talked about 40, yeah, 40 movies. And here's a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support, as well as to Nikki for her wonderful help. Special thanks again to our chatters and other listeners. We hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back next time for another spirited discussion about movies. We'll be uh, doing a preview of the Golden Globes Awards with uh, James Cold Harrison and Diana Sanger, so it should be a fun show. That's all for now, folks, because this is our last show of the year. Let's call on Brian Ferry to take us out with one of the greatest movie tunes of all time. It's from Casablanca, and I think most of you know it by heart. Have a safe and happy new year, everyone. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say, I love you. On that you can rely. No matter what the future brings as time goes by. Never out of day Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his name That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die
It's still the same old story I fight for love and glory A case of do or die 